Good morning and a very warm welcome to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. Today, folks, I am sharing with you a conversation that I had with Reverend Sylvia Evans last weekend, who was here ministering in Cornerstone Sleeve Bloom Church at their The Light of the Word conference. As always, I asked Reverend Sylvia the following three questions. One, what was life like before accepting Christ as her Savior? Two, what were the circumstances that led her to accepting Christ? And three, what was life like since? So, won't you join me as we listen to her response to these questions? Reverend Sylvia, thank you very much for joining with me today for this interview, this conversation that we are going to have. And I want to put to you three questions. And the three questions are, what was life like before accepting Christ as your Savior? Second one is, what were the circumstances that led you to Christ? And the third one is, what has life like been since? Thank you for the privilege of sharing. I'm delighted to share. I had such a wonderful home background that it was an oven preparing for baking an interest in Christ. My parents had both come to Christ as children, as young people, and had met in Bible school, both committed to serve the Lord and to minister. And they married and had a family, and I was number three. That was way back in 1940. I have 83 years of being in the groove of serving the Lord. So I was trained in my home. Not only did we go to church, but we had family altar that I would count as one of the most valuable things in my life until I went to college and was on my own when I was in my home every single day. We knelt. We didn't just say a brief prayer at church. Uh, or at the table at home, we we knelt after after the reading of the scripture on school days. Daddy or mom would read, but we would all kneel and pray. And my parents would pray over us. They would pray with us. So they were nurturing me as a little girl. My dad told me when I was full grown that I had always had a love for the word, for the scripture, from the time I was a tiny child. What I remember is that when I was about six, I had an experience, and and it led me to want to make sure that I had received Christ, that I was saved, that would be the language that would be used, that I personal salvation, that I knew that I was going to heaven. As a six-year-old, I woke up in the night, and it was as though I were in a dream and I looked at the baby carriage, the doll carriage that I had by my bed because I was a mother when I was a child and I always had my, I put all my, uh, all my dolls to bed. I had the baby carriage beside me, the doll carriage. And I, I woke up out of some kind of a dream and it looked as though there was fire over the hood of that doll carriage. And it frightened me and it made me think of what I'd heard about hell that it would be fire in hell. And so I'm not saying that I was dreaming I was in hell. I'm saying I had a dream that there was fire on my on my baby carriage, and it made me think. And I called. Uh, I called out somehow, probably called Daddy, because my Daddy was the kind that I could call on. 
And he came in, and I remember his very gentle, gracious, kind spirit to find out why I was crying. And, and I told him something that I, I, wanted, I didn't want to go to hell. There was fire in hell. I didn't want to go to hell. And so he made sure that I had prayed the prayer for personal salvation and that I had invited Christ into my heart. And of course then, because he, he is such a shepherd and he was a shepherd of his family, not just of, of the people in the church and community, uh, he helped me to come to an assurance and to peace and made sure that I could go back to sleep. But it's a very vivid memory. And, uh, and I don't know exactly my age. My mother had experiences regarding me that had to do with the call of God on my life. And she apologized to me in her old age that, that she didn't have diaries for those years. And the reason was that she had birthed four children in six years. And she didn't have time to keep her diary. Sometime after that, she began the diaries, and we had them up until her 93rd and a half, her 92nd and a half birthday. And every day would happen that day. But she didn't have it. But there are two occasions that I would say, besides just the nurturing in my own family, uh, the disciplining of my human spirit. My father and my mother trained my spirit. So let me stop on that point, that besides the family altar, it was the daily, it was the every minute of every day being nurtured in the word as was appropriate. It became a part of my life that the word was the basis of my life. But there's there's a verse in in the 12th chapter of Hebrews that I understand better today than I did then. And it is where the writer of Hebrews, you and I don't know particularly which writer, but the writer of Hebrews was talking about the chastising that Jesus went through. He starts with that. And the fact that we now must run with patience the race that was set before us with endurance is really a good translation for the Greek word. Whatever race is set before us, that we run with endurance. And then the writer goes back to Jesus and what he endured for the joy that was set before him. And I find in that the principle that we learn to endure until we can enjoy again. Let me say it again. We learn to endure until we can enjoy again. And so Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, which would come in the resurrection and all the way to glory and, and then welcoming us into heaven. But the cross was not, was not fun to endure. So that's the beginning of chapter 12. That's, that's the premise of chapter 12 in the book of Hebrews. And it tells what he endured and how he was chastised and, and whatever. Then it goes into a discussion of chastening. And we find out that chastening doesn't technically mean punishing. It actually means disciplining, which as a Latin student and a Latin teacher, I understand 
has to do with teaching and training. Discipulus is the word for a student who's being trained, who's being discipled. So discipline is a teaching process, a training process. And so as, as the writer of Hebrews is talking about it, first that Jesus went through the chastening as the Son of God, then he goes into how a father that loves his children will chasten his children, not punish them, not abuse them, not beat them into with stripes and 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 uh, not hurt them, but help them with life. And so he says, if we endure chastening even from God that God is dealing with us as sons or as his own children. And, and the issue is that we learn to let God deal with us when we have experienced the dealings of kind, godly, gracious, wise parents. For me, that's my experience. It's why I am what I am. And they dealt with me in my attitudes, in my responses, in my reactions, or in my laziness, or in my irresponsibility, any of those things. They dealt with me, but the basis of their dealing with me was from the Word. And so this was part of my childhood that helped me. So I'm going to find this verse in Hebrews chapter 12 that God deals with us as his own children. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where I am joined by Reverend Sylvia Evans, who was the guest speaker at a conference that was taking place in Cornerstone Sleeve Bloom Church last weekend. And Reverend Sylvia has been sharing her story with us. Quite an unusual story thus far. So, Reverend Sylvia... You were looking up a verse for us in Hebrews in regard to the chastisement or the disciplining or the training that God bestows upon his children. And then he says this, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh. Now he's talking in the plural. We, our So I have to narrow that to, I had a father of my flesh, my human father, who corrected us. He corrected me. And we gave them reverence. I gave him reverence. I respected him. I revered my father. I, of course, feared if he should give too much punishment but I wasn't afraid of my father. He was a kind, gracious man. He was a gentle man, and I didn't want his anger if he got angry, and he didn't didn't express his anger very often that I ever saw it. And even when he was going to discipline me, he would send me into a certain place to wait for him to come, And he later explained to me that before he came in, even if he had to give me a spanking, that he would take time to deal with his own spirit and he would take time to set his own heart 
on what he was to do to help me in that situation. And so I always got the sermon first of why he needed to discipline me, of how responsible he was. So here's what it says. We had fathers after our flesh who corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? And I learned from my father that if I submitted to him, let him train me, took, took the things he was going to instruct me from the word, and why he was responsible for directing my spirit, that I was going to live a better life. I mean, I wasn't afraid of dying, but it was the kind of life that I would live. The next verse says, For they verily, for a few days, because that's as long as a father has his child at home. I left home when I, just when I turned 18, never went back home to live. So he had 18 years to discipline my spirit, just a few days of my life. He chastened, our father chastened us after their own pleasure. But the word in the Greek doesn't mean just, ooh, this makes me happy. It means their own judgment, their own opinion, their own sense of what's the right way to do it. Well, my own daddy, in his old age, was still apologizing that he didn't really know how to discipline children. And he actually said to me, I don't know if this will have meaning here, but he actually said, we didn't have a Dr. Spock to train us, to teach us how to... And I said to him, Daddy, I'm really glad you didn't have a Dr. Spock. What he used was this book right here. And so it says, they disciplined us after their pleasure, and we gave them reverence, etc. But he, God, disciplines us according to what will profit us, P-R-O-F-I-T. And that means it's going to benefit me that he's disciplined me. It's going to benefit me that he dealt with me. It's going to benefit me that his opinion, his judgment was, he really needed to deal with this thing in my life now. And this is so important to me because it was a journey. Because... You don't know me. You've only known me for a few minutes. But I am a strong-willed person, which is why I've been able to make it to age 83 and keep going to the world. I'm determined to keep fulfilling my calling. But my father had to deal with the fleshly will, the strong-willed child, it's called. And as he did that, he had to train me how to yield, and my mother the same how to yield to the will of God for me. And when he talked about the will of God for me, in the end, it's going to mean, what does God want me to do in my life, with my life? Of course. But that wasn't what he was after. He was after learning in this moment to deal with my own will, to surrender to what the Bible shows is the will of God for me, but also to surrender to my Father's will or my mother's will, and learn how to surrender my will. I would say that's the most important, practical, natural lesson of my lifetime. 
and my father was faithful to steward my will. So this says in the word, know that, that he did it for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness, that's God. And now no chastening, no discipline, no training, even for Olympic champions to be or to become. The chastening, the discipline they have to go through is probably not always pleasant, except that they love this discipline because it's going to bring them victory. They have to have a forward view of what they want to become to start disciplining now. Is that right? Are their parents, sometimes it's parents who get a view, you're going to be a, a champion football player, or you're going to be a champion skater, or whatever. And it takes a disciplining of the parents. I know, because I know some that have prepared champions. It takes a disciplining of the parents to discipline the child to come to that end. Well, for me, it wasn't to be an Olympic star, though I was an athlete, I was a runner, and I've won lots of races. For my parents, it was for me to do the will of God in my life. And so they prepared me daily. When I saw my father and my mother kneel, and we knelt at whatever chair or sofa, wherever we were, made it an altar, and I heard my father submit himself to God and pray for himself to be the man God wanted him to be, prayed for wisdom in leading his family, blessed his family. And then each of us must pray blessing on each other in the family, even if we were arguing. And I, one day I didn't, I didn't pray for the boys. I, I went on to Grandma and Grandpa and Uncle Bill and Aunt Lois and the missionaries and everybody and at the end of it. Daddy said, Sylvia, what? I didn't hear you pray for the boys. Well, I didn't want to pray for the boys, because if I prayed for the boys, I had prayed for the one that I was angry with. He had hurt me, hurt my feelings. And Daddy said, we'll wait. And I knew, I knew what would happen. I knew the minute I said his name in prayer that I had to break. And it ended up with a reconciliation led by my father of forgiveness and praying. We resolve the issue according to the will of God. So that's, that's a sampling of my coming through my childhood. It was a, it was a continuous um, oversight of our spirit. So here's the verse that, that, that affects me so much. How much rather or how much more should we be in subjection or we must be submitted to the Father of Spirits. And so my Father trained my flesh to submit my spirit to God so that I could be here today. I'm not an angry woman. I don't have an axe to grind. I'm not mad at men. I'm, I don't have a cause except for others to know the God that my father and my mother trained me in. And this word, this book, became my delight. And the result of it is I learned this principle. Now, no chastening for the present 
seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto those that are exercised thereby. And if you don't go through the exercise of the training, of the discipline, of the chastening, you're not going to get everything worked out to be peaceable fruit of righteousness. Midlands 183. Welcome back to Heartlands and Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. My guest today is Reverend Sylvia Evans, who was here last week as the guest speaker at a conference held by Cornerstone Sleeve Bloom Church. The discussion I had with Reverend Sylvia has been very interesting as she outlines her spiritual journey as having been someone trained in and through the Word of God by her parents. At this point, Reverend Sylvia is about to share with us a scripture that had a transformational impact upon her life. And that's where we take back up her story. That leads me to a key verse in my life, which is the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness shall be quietness and assurance forever. I call it my lasting PQA formula. Lasting peace, lasting quietness, lasting assurance. That's in Isaiah. I think it's 32 around verse 18. And the verses after that talk about our homes being a safe place. And that we dwell in quietness and we dwell in safety, which suggests that it happens in my life, then it happens in my family, it happens in my home, and then it happens in my community. And it becomes a culture of righteousness that leads to peace. So I grew up in a peaceful home. I grew up in a home where righteousness was sought if if my father did express an angry reaction or something, he'd be the first to confess it and repent and ask us to forgive. But he wasn't an angry man. And so he would deal with a feeling of anger. So we were required to resolve issues. One of the ways my mother dealt with when I was upset with one of my brothers, she put us on opposite sides of the window to wash the window and try to avoid looking your brother in the eye when you're supposed to be washing the window and you move this way and he moves that way because he's chasing you now with with the cloth on the window and we both end up laughing and come out friends. I want to talk about my mother's Bible because there are people who are afraid to discipline their children from the scriptures I've spoken primarily about my father here, but my mother, who was a four-foot-ten giant of a woman, uh, and by the way, of Irish background, uh, I think it was her grandparents or great-grandparents came over from Ireland and England. So her way of dealing with me was something that has affected my life very profoundly. When I got to a point where I could actually read, she would take her Bible, not mine, her Bible, and open it 
lay it on the bed, asked me to kneel down by the bed. She would leave me there with the scripture to read it, and then she would be back, and we would talk about it. She would let me find the lesson. So I remember one day that she left me with that word, and I knew, because now I was to a point where I understood it wasn't just my father, it was God, and I understood whatever the Bible said was the rule. And she left me to read a portion. It was on this part of the page. Her Bible was a small Bible, and I decided I could not afford to read that scripture. I, I knew what would happen if I did. I knew I would have to repent. <laughs> I, I didn't, I wasn't quite ready for that. <laughs> so I just sat there. I did not read it. She came to the door and stuck her hand at the door and said, have you read it? Have you read it? And I didn't answer. I didn't say no. I didn't say yes. So she understood that I probably hadn't. So she gave me another few minutes and she said, I will be back in so many minutes. I'll give you time to read it. And this time I recognized that I was up against the steel wall. My mother was not easily persuaded to give up on her her standard in in any level of discipline. She was very consistent. So, So I decided, okay, you better give in a little bit. I think it's when I learned to scan. (laughs) <laughs> so so I scanned down through the portion, got the message, knew the story or whatever it was, and I knew I was had. Uh, but I hadn't read it word for word, but I had got it. So now she came back, stuck her head in the door and said, have you read it? And I said, mm-hmm. And she came she said, well, just to make sure that you've read it, read it for mommy. She knelt down be- beside me and put her arm around me and asked me to read it for her. And by that time, the tears are starting to flow and my voice is quaking. And I know I have to repent. Did it make me hate her Bible? No. Each of us, when he or she was... 16, for our 16th birthdays, we were going to be given a leather cover Bible. So I chose my mother's Bible, and that's the Bible that went to college with me. It's the Bible that went through the first, well, years and years of my ministry, and the pages were falling out. And finally, my Bible study ladies gave me a big Bible with big letters because I was getting where I needed to be able to see a little more clearly. So I give thanks to this, all of this background because it nurtured me in a readiness to say yes to God. But probably the first time, maybe it's the first time I heard God speak to me, heard, knew God was talking to me was after I graduated from high school and would soon be going to college. And now, I can't even believe it, but this this strong will in me was manifesting one day in a way that was very unusual. That wonderful daddy that I've talked about was standing 
on one side of the threshold. He was on the kitchen side. I was in the dining room side. And he wanted to counsel me on something very practical, very down-to-earth, very according to the father of the flesh, just training me in something. I don't know what, but I stood in front of him and looked up at him. He was a little over six foot. And I looked up at his eyes because I was required to look at him. And on the inside, I was saying, two weeks, two weeks. I'll be in college. I'll be away from here. I don't know what I was saying, but I don't have to take this. And when he finished, he released me. And I turned, I grabbed the stairway door, yanked it open, stomped on the first step, stomped on the second. Now, I wouldn't be able to do that now for many reasons, but I stomped up those stairs, fully expecting to hear the door open or the voice call through the door. I expected to hear Sylvia. I expected to hear come back down. Now, close the door five times without slamming it. Now go up the stairs without making a sound, training my spirit, but training my flesh. He didn't. And here's my opinion. I think God said to him, it's okay, Danny, I'll take care of her. I'll deal with her this time. Welcome back to Heartlands and Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And my guest today is Reverend Sylvia Evans, who was here last week as the guest speaker of a conference held by Cornerstone Sleeve Bloom Church. And I caught up with Reverend Sylvia for a conversation. In this conversation, she's been outlining to us the journey that she had in preparation for her ministry through the training that she received at home from her parents and she has spoken with great length about what that meant and what that looked like. So at this point in the story, Reverend Sylvia is sharing with us how she had defiantly stopped up the stairs and although awaiting her father's correction, it never came. And she believed that the Lord had told her father to let her be and that he would sort this out. So let's find out what God did do and how did he sort this out. Here is Reverend Sylvia telling us what happened next. And I stomped up the stairs, threw myself on the bed and was crying. I'm not a crying person. And I was crying and it was as though God himself reached his big hand out and took that river of rebellion and anger, and self-pity, whatever it is, and put it back in my mouth like that. And he said, why are you crying? And I said, because... And he said, I thought you wanted me to use you and to guide your life. Where did he get that? Was that in the Bible? No, he is quoting me. Two months before that, I was leading my class in at graduation from high school, in my white robe, with my honor cord, I'm going to be speaking at my graduation. I'm walking into my graduation crying, tears streaming. People would have thought that it was sentiment because we're finishing. I was aware of our class motto, which was out of the harbor into deep channels. I was aware of that. 
That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking, I'm going out into life. I'm thinking, I need God to guide my life. I'm consecrating myself one more time, as I had so many time at altars, with one desire that I could go as a missionary to Africa. I had no other desire, no other plan. Everybody who knew me from the time I was in, I was a child, from the time I was five. My fifth grade prophecy said I would be a missionary teacher in Africa. My high school prophecy said this and that. My college, everybody in college knew I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. I had no other desire. But right here, I'm, I'm concerned as I'm marching in and tears are streaming down my face and I'm saying, I want you to use me and to guide my life. You know, Holy Spirit never forgets anything he ever said or caused to be written. Holy Spirit never forgets anything God ever said or Jesus ever said. He never forgets anything the prophets ever said. But he also never forgets anything I ever said. And he came back and quoted it to me. I thought you wanted me to use you and to guide your life. And now I started crying that holy cry that I had cried at altars begging God to use my life. Now I'm crying out to him. I want him to use my life. And he says, well, I can't use you that way. Pause. If you can't listen to your kind, gracious, gentle, godly father, how are you going to listen to me when you're out there on your own? About five weeks later, I was at college. He scared me to death with the fact that I'm away from home. My parents aren't there to watch me. The dean of women can try, but she's not going to see everything I do. And I saw myself as a sheep wandering out on my own. And I spent a whole afternoon in Psalm 119, where every single verse, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, eight verses for each one that started with that letter, every single verse has something about the Word of God, the way of God, the law of God, the statutes, the testimonies, the precepts, the tiny little pieces of the law of God. David crying out, oh, how I love thy law. And I'm doing it all the way through. And I get to the last verse. If I ask you, Reverend, do you know how many verses in Psalm 119? It's 22 times 8, 176 verses. 175 of them. The law of God, the love of the law of God, the word of God, the precepts, the testimony, the way. And after 175 verses of that, he says, I have gone astray as a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. (laughs) And I'll close with this little story from my childhood up in northern New York and our our village was hills so the village sat down where the couple of stores and the post office and the mill that was flat down there in the valley our house was up this long hill we used to close it in the winter time for sledding 
And after that long hill, our house sat there. And then there was another hill right in front of our house. And I was over across the way, down in the valley, and back up another hill, playing at a friend's house in the afternoon. My daddy had told me I could go. He did not give me a time. He said, be home before dark. Now I'm probably nine, ten. Do I know the difference between dark and light? Yeah, but dark is a relative term. And I was playing outside with my friend. We had little dishes, plastic little dishes. And I was serving my friend her dinner. We were sitting on the ground. And I was judging darkness. I know I'm supposed to be home before dark, but I could still see her silhouette and I could still see the dishes. So is it dark, dark? And suddenly I heard a voice. I won't try to reproduce it, but my father was standing on the porch of my house across the valley. I'm across the village and I hear, Sylvia, and he could make it into ten syllables, which means everybody in town knew that Sylvia was missing, and it was relatively dark. My first impulse was to get up and run that way and find some place to hide. Thankfully, my second impulse was throw the dishes down, say to my friend, I got to go. And I took up, and I think it's when I became a track star. I ran as fast as I could run down the street, down the hill, cross the highway, take time to see there's no car, and cross the bridge and up the hill. But when I got to the steps, I slowed down and walked up into the house as though I were just so relaxed. But here's what I learned that day. Learn to love the voice. Don't run from the voice. Run to the voice. And that's why I'm here today. It's because I learned to run to the voice. But my father, even of a dean, of a counselor, of a pastor, of my Lord. And I used to I used to love the verses in Philippians 3 about pressing toward the mark and going for the prize because I was a runner. As a child, I was a runner. I was a runner. I was a runner in college. I loved those verses. But right after that day of Psalm 119, when I said to the Lord, I give you permission to seek me when I go astray because I don't forget your commandments any more than I forgot my daddy's commandment. I was mindful all afternoon long. Daddy said, be home before dark. I was watching the sun. I didn't forget the commandment. I was making decisions to do what I wanted to do. And I ran to the voice. So that day, I had written what I call Sylvia's Prayer of Permission. Dear Lord, 
I give you permission to do what you must do to make me what you want me to be. Very respectfully submitted. Sign my name. Room 3, whatever it was, 310, Gaudia Hall, Houghton College, Houghton, New York, USA. Located myself. And at age 83, I go back there again and again. I call it Sylvia's Prayer of Permission. Thank you for letting me share. And to anyone who's listening, I highly recommend learning to love your Father's voice. Amen. Midlands 183.